I want to talk more about how we have debated what is perhaps the most important issue of our day, health care, and uh, the, the character and quality of that debate. Uh, I do represent um, a center on campus called the Center for Democratic Deliberation. We got a picture of there of when people <laughs> deliberated differently than they do now. They wore different hats, too, and they brought their dogs and everything. But, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if that guy's yelling at the speaker or not, but um, uh, uh, we've seen a lot of yelling lately. And, uh, and the question becomes, is that disruptive, or is that part of our legitimate democratic heritage to yell at politicians? Uh, some, anybody at the Arlen Specter Town Hall? See, I'm, oh, you were there. Out in the line. You'll have to, <laughs> you didn't get in. Huh? We'll have to, uh, anybody, you got in to the thing, so we may ask you uh, your impressions of that. Uh, is our, our, our center's uh, dedicated to, and it's something that we've thought important for a long time, improving the quality of public discussion of important issues. And uh, the good news for us is a lot of people agree with us now after witnessing some of the, <laughs> the town hall meetings that took place uh, last summer. Most of us at the center are trained in a, in a very ancient tradition. Uh, uh, the word rhetoric was used in my title, and uh, I hope you don't have only the negative connotation of that term. <laughs> rhetoric, is, rhetoric is an ancient art uh, taught in ancient Greek, uh, Greece. It was born with democracy in ancient Greece, and, and the reason it existed was to teach people how to participate in a democratic system as citizens. Now, of course, that was a different kind of democracy than we have. Uh, we have a much more diverse democracy. We have uh, a much more rowdy uh, democracy than existed in ancient Greece. Um, and, uh, and so our, our traditions are, are somewhat different. And, and people, people are always asking me, well, you know, isn't that, isn't that anti-democratic? Isn't that disruptive to shout at politicians? Um, and I, I answer, no. One of our projects, uh, for example, is, uh, that was mentioned is called Voice of Democracy. This is an online um, repository. We just opened it, so there's not a lot of stuff up there yet, but it, it's, uh, it's a collection of, of speeches and debates throughout American history and uh, critical analyses of them and what they have contributed to our democracy uh, over the years. And this is one of our logos, and if we look at some of the people that we picture on here, uh, they're the kind of people you would see in anthologies of great American speeches. Are all of these people part of that kind of tradition of civil, decorous, polite discussion? Uh, no. If, no. You, if you recognize some of them, we have, uh, 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 we have uh, Malcolm X, who uh, was hardly the model of civility and, and decorum. We have, does anybody know, we should give a prize for anybody that can name all these. You see Cesar Chavez, who is a labor leader that uh, stirred things up quite a bit, right? So, who else? You're good. Somebody recognizes Shirley Chisholm up there? Yeah. She actually was a, uh, a kind of classically trained speaker in the sense that she made reasoned arguments and evidence. It wasn't a kind of wild, flame-throwing uh, stump speaker, what they called the spellbinders early in our in our history, but up in the corner to the left there, you see Alice Paul, who arguably uh, uh, did more to get the vote for women than, than 70 years of women before her by being confrontational, standing in front of the White House, calling the president all sorts of nasty names, sent to jail. provoking riots, sent to jail, went on hunger strikes. Uh, so again, uh, the point being, uh, some of the others that, that would 
be described as disruptive, I guess, would be uh, 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 Wilma Mankiller, the first female head of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it, it, the name says it all. And there's your old friend John Kerry up yeah, there sure. protesting Vietnam against war. the war in Vietnam. So um, uh, disruption, angry speech even, is part of our uh, democratic rhetorical tradition. Uh, yet people seem to think something really different happened in these town hall meetings. So I want to just throw some questions out there that we're going to discuss a little bit today. I'd like to hear your views on it as well. Um, uh, but uh, but I'll say a few things first. Did these town hall meetings and the broader protests, the so-called teabag protests, did you watch those on TV down in Washington? Yeah. Did those represent something new and different in American politics? Uh, how have similar, similar strategies of disruption been used historically and to what effect? I think I've already sort of answered uh, my view on that a little bit for you. Uh, no, they're not new, but we do want to reflect a little bit more on their effect. What are the legal, ethical, and practical political implications of such strategies and tactics. And finally, what do the use of such strategies and tactics tell us about the health of our democracy? Anybody got an opinion they want to jump in with right away? Is this a healthy democracy or does this point to some problem? Uh, and the Democrats that I spoke to, of course, always, always wanted to know what's the best way to respond mm -hmm. to those sorts of things. Some of you may have seen Barney Frank's answer to that question. Did you see that? No. Oh, well, I'll talk. <laughs> I don't think it's a good way to respond. Well, let me start with Arnold Specter, who commented after the town hall meeting in State College he had never seen people so angry. Now, how old is Arnold? <laughs> He's old, she said. <laughs> he doesn't remember a lot of things. Do you remember times when people were more angry than they are even now? Yeah, I yeah, think so. Sure. Yeah, and you can go back throughout American history. I mean, before the Civil War, the Civil War is probably not a good example. Because they were so angry they killed each other. But what? Revolutionary War? Yeah, I mean, this, we have a history of, of that kind of thing. Um, but even in his lifetime, you can think of, he was alive during the McCarthy era, right? He was alive during the 60s, the days of rage. He was alive when people were punching each other out in gas lines when Jimmy Carter was president, right? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of anger in American politics, so for him to say that uh, uh, seems sort of strange. One of his aides actually said something more accurate. We have a long history of yelling at politicians in America, so I think that's probably a lot more uh, accurate. Um, but what is the purpose? What, how, what purposes and what effects result from that kind of strategy? Do you think the people who yelled at these town hall meetings accomplished anything. What did they accomplish? No, oh, in mass, they kept the debate open. They got a lot of attention, didn't they? I would say, you know, they were actually imitating, and actually one of the leaders of the groups that organized some of the Tea Party protests and, and the town hall disruptions is a fellow named Richard Vickery. He's, he's written some books uh, about the so-called new right in American politics. He used to he used to raise money for conservative causes. He still does, I guess. Uh, but going back to the 70s. And he was once asked, where did you learn your tactics? And he said, from studying the new left in the 60s, right? What they did is they went, you know, there's where you saw people shouting down speakers, disrupting meetings. Ted Kennedy used to go around and try to speak on college campuses in the late 60s and 70s and get shouted down, not be allowed to speak. So 
again, that's where they learned it, was from studying uh, some of the uh, more radical factions of the new left. What, what, what does it do for the protesters themselves? There is something to be said for um, uh, the argument that these protests were not actually about health care. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think a lot of people came to these meetings uh, because they have concerns about health care, but others came because they're just kind of unhappy with the world's going <laughs> They have a kind of nostalgic view. The world's changing. We don't... We don't like where the country's going. I want one woman in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, <laughs> said, "I want my country back." Yeah, right. So it's not it's not really about healthcare, right? It's about them seeing themselves as part of a class that's now being kind of neglected or left behind and marginalized, and all the things that people on the left used to say, right? So uh, having said that, how do these tactics work? They do get media attention. But they also can backfire. Uh, in the 60s, uh, 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 a lot of the media attention focused on the more radical protesters, distracted from the arguments that the more moderate protesters against the war were making. If people could argue, and I told the Democrats this when I talked to the Democrat uh, club, I said, you could learn a lesson from Richard Nixon. They were horrified. <laughs> But what am, I, what am I getting at? Richard Nixon gave a great speech called The Great Silent Majority after he got elected. And he said, the protesters are all, they just want us to lose in Vietnam. That's what they're all about. So he kind of took that broad brush. Everybody protesting the war was, you know, in favor of losing the war. Wasn't supporting the troops, right? And he said, I, I, the great silent majority is with me. And a lot of people said, yeah, I'm part of that great silent majority. And the press coverage became more positive toward Nixon. He managed to keep that war going for another four years, right? And, and trounce an anti-war candidate in the 72 election. Uh, because people rejected and rebelled against the radical faction of the anti-war movement and associated everybody with that. Now, do we see some of that happening here? I think you're starting to see it in some of the media where people are focusing the attention on the means of the healthcare protesters rather than the arguments they make. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have legitimate concerns about the healthcare proposals that are being made. It's a big change, right? And, 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 and what some of the Democrats are doing, and they didn't like to hear me say this, but I, I, I said they're chasing red herrings. You know that term? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The red herring, you know, that it actually comes from an old practice they used to get hunting dogs off the, the track using a real fish, you know, to create a scent that gets somebody off the track. Well, that's what, that's what it is in argumentation theory. We, we have a red herring, which is we get people to worry about all these people saying, oh, they're going to kill grandma, yeah. right? That's a red herring, right? And so all the Democrats are trying to refute that, oh, we're not going to kill grandma. Well, that's a red herring. That's not a real issue. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a highly emotional issue that's designed to distract people from the real issues. Now, what are the real issues that people have? Well, you know, how much is this going to cost us, right? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to keep my plan? Now, Obama says, sure, you can keep your plan. Factcheck.org, which is actually a nonpartisan, actually a liberal group, says, oh, we're not sure about that because the incentives in the plan may get some players to drop uh, their, their coverage. So, you know, there's complex issues here. There's no right and wrong, but, but they're important issues. People have legitimate concerns, and too many people are chasing 
I would argue, the red herrings. Killing grandmother, death panels, all that stuff. Don't you draw a distinction between angry speech and preventing other people from expressing their point of view or preventing the speaker from <coughs> presenting oh, I do. his or her point of view? Yeah, I sure do. Yeah, and, and, and to me, somebody who deprives somebody else of their right to be heard <coughs> is engaged in demagoguery and ought to be condemned. And well, I would like to see the press Is that what that. happened at these town hall meetings? Uh, no, actually, what's interesting about the town hall meetings, and I'm glad you said this, because I think the media, back to the media, has given us a distorted perception of them. Uh, even Arlen, now, who was at the Arlen Specter one? Was everybody that spoke at that meeting disruptive? No, I, as a former reporter, I try to quantify, because uh -huh. it's a huge gathering, I yeah. try to quantify the dissent, uh, right. or rather the cheering on both sides. I found that, and so I did a lot of counting, which is what I used to do as a reporter. Right. And I discovered that when, for instance, Ben Brewer from Bullsburg got up and tried to pin Spectre down, on my dad, he's a labor organizer, and mm -hmm. he said, my dad doesn't have insurance, you know, why is mm -hmm. that so under you? That's, that's rather far left, you know, mm -hmm. and he had about 20, 24, 25 people cheering him on, right. and this is what I would consider an Obama faction or a health care right. faction, because these people were cheering every statement right. that was pro-health care. Then when the constitutionals or the people who were coached, uh, shall we say, got up <coughs> and denounced the lack of following constitutional procedures, Spectre being a turncoat, stuff mm -hmm. like that. You might consider them more or less on the far right. There were about 24, 25 people getting up and yeah. shouting, yes, yeah. that's right. So 25 on each side wound up being 50 people, which was 10% of the exactly. people Exactly. Strong partisans on both sides. Cheering, hooting. But only 10%, 90% yeah. were there to listen yeah. and, you know. Well, thank you for that, because I think that's that was going to be my point. I think that's true of most of these. And some didn't even have that many of the strong partisans. Uh, Bob, Senator Casey did a town hall down in Lock Haven uh, that, from all reports, was a very reasoned, helpful discussion of these issues that, that help people that are undecided and just want to hear about it to understand what was going on. Now, we have to keep in mind there wasn't even a bill yet uh, that they had settled on at the point that these things were going on. So, you know, the, the strong partisans on both sides already had their minds made up. And what they did, I would argue, is they deprived the rest of those people of the opportunity uh, to ask the question and get their questions answered. They're legitimate questions. So that, that to me, is a problem. The bigger problem is who does the media focus on? I The only thing I saw out of the Spectre thing was some guy being physically restrained because they thought he was going to attack Spectre. That's the only thing I saw uh, from that, that meeting. So I think the media is abdicating its responsibility uh, in this debate. So that's an important point. Now, how... Yeah, Professor, I think... Yeah. Uh, if you just watched a commercial TV broadcast, you'd, get, you'd come to that conclusion. Yes. If you watched the CNET complete two hours of the program, you'd get a very balanced Oh, absolutely. Viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking about the, the commercial media with their sound bites and so on. What do they consider the most important news out of one of these events? It's a person being yelling. physically restrained or somebody being angry. Uh, you know, it's like they say, you know, it's not a good headline to say, 
crowd had reasoned discussion. You know, that's not, that's not a, you know, people learned a lot. You know, look, that, that's just not a good headline. The other thing you saw in the media a lot, I, oh, I mentioned I promised to get back to Barney Frank because the Democrats were so excited. I had, it was just when I met with them, uh, it was the day after Barney Frank had been confronted at a town hall meeting by a woman <coughs> holding a picture of Obama with the Hitler mustache, uh -oh. right, the Hitler look, um, and making crazy statements about how, uh, you know, we're going down the road to socialism and Obama's another Hitler, blah, 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 I want my country bad kind of stuff that we, we had talked about. Uh, and Barney Frank's response? Madam, what planet do you spend most of your time on? And then he went on to say, arguing with you about this, trying to discuss this with you is like trying to have a conversation with a dining room table. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, the Democrats Maybe love that, right? And I said, I, you know, I'm sorry to dash you. I know that makes you feel good, you know, because he's right in a sense. That woman is not persuadable, right? So he's right. Uh, having a conversation with her is like talking to your dining room table. But is that, yeah, is that a good way to respond? I mean, that's kind of, you know, there's demagoguery and name calling on both sides, right? And that's just another example of, it's cathartic, it makes Democrats feel better, but it doesn't really accomplish much. Do you think their intent might have been to prevent logical discussion? Yeah. Uh, that, that woman and... Not that woman, the yeah. people there to disrupt. I think that's their intent. Yeah, it's, the ones that, that actually, and that goes back to this gentleman's question, Yeah, there, there is a difference between literally trying to prevent somebody from speaking and just speaking out in a kind of forceful, angry fashion like this, this woman did. Um, I, I wouldn't want to generalize about the motives of all these people. I think some of them are genuinely upset. They feel the world's changing and leaving them behind and things are terrible and we're going down the road to socialism. Uh, but people like Richard Bigbury that I mentioned, the strategists behind some of these groups, that's very much their thinking, yeah, is to disrupt and prevent the debate from occurring. Yeah. yeah. In talking about responses in the general area of, uh, of rhetoric, is it a bad idea to call a lie a lie? No. No. The problem is that a lot of these issues are what go back to Aristotelian theory that's 2,000 years old. They're in what Aristotle called the realm of the contingent. There's no black and white easy answer. They're complicated. So, you know, Obama's statement, for example, uh, you know, fact check said, well, it may or may not be true. You know, it's not clear when you predict the effects in the future of a new policy, whether it's going to, you know, how much is it going to cost? You know, you're making projections. You're, you're guessing, uh, educated guesses, we hope. But you, so I, I wouldn't say if it turns out that some people do lose their health care under the Obama plan, and he promised that wouldn't happen, that then we should say he's a liar and get rid. Uh, no, because he's not. You know, he's basing his argument on his information. I don't think he's intentionally lying. Now there were blatant, obvious, factual lies perpetuated. I think on both sides uh, during this debate that are demonstrably untrue, right? I think the death panels thing is a case of that. Um, what else would, uh, I'm trying to think what other issues came so up. Bring socialism. Well, the socialism, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, 
you know, the problem is that's, a, that's just an abstract term. You know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and to say this is taking us down the road to socialism. They used to say communism, you know, during yeah. the it, 50s. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd, see, I'd label that not so much a lie as just a, a, a fear appeal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an emotional yeah. appeal. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, Obama in his uh, big speech to Congress did try to call them on some things that I think were, 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 were lies. Um, but, but, but some of these things are just kind of, you know, he's trying to talk about fear appeals that are being made. You know, it's not about going down the road. It's not, you know, we're going to pull a plug on granny. It's a fear appeal. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Isn't the game playing to the media, knowing what the media are going to publicize? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all a strategy game to distract the general population because they know the media is going to help them distract the general population. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, again, I think that's true about the, the brain trusts behind some of these organizations that have organized people. But I think the ordinary citizens who show up uh, are probably convinced of some of these things. You know, one of the problems with our media right now is we have uh, uh, what I call echo chambers, where people People listen to the, you know, these opinionated news channels that reinforce the views they already have. You know, I think we need a law that forces all conservatives uh, to watch uh, MSNBC and all liberals to watch Fox News, right? You know, because they they never hear the other side because they just listen to these stations that that reinforce their existing views. What's that? They know the other side is bad. They already know the other side is bad, even though they don't know what the other side right. is. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's part of the problem. And it's something, you know, again, it's an educational problem, too. It's not just the media. And we fight this battle with our students every day. You know, I have students come in, and I love this example. They come in, and they're all upset about <coughs> these anti-abortion protesters up on campus. Did you see that? Yeah. You know, and they're showing these gruesome pictures, right? Oh, that's terrible. Um, the students will say, and, I, and so I say, well, would you would you agree that showing gruesome pictures from from the Holocaust or from nuclear war would be terrible too? Well, that's a different that's different, you know, because they agree with the cause. So I try to get them to distinguish between means and ends, right? And 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 what we need to do to have a healthy democracy is educate students, educate all citizens, call demagogues demagogues when they're in favor of their cause. And I do that in some of my work, and I get in trouble all the time. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm in favor of war, but I wrote a book criticizing some of the anti-war movement's rhetoric because I thought it was misleading, deceptive, and doing the same kinds of things that we're seeing these Tea Party people doing, right? And of course, I do. Get, I go to a conference, and people yell at me, "Oh, you must be in favor of nuclear war." No, that's not the point. I'm in favor of reasoned discussion of these difficult issues and not trying to scare people into agreeing with you. Yeah? I think you got you, you didn't complete your thought. You said there were lies on both sides. What were the lies on the Democratic side that were comparable to the death panel? Well, again, uh, there probably aren't any that. that. <laughs> I'll grant you that. No, I, I'm not inclined to say there are so much lies. I'm saying there are what I would argue are sort of un irresponsible rhetorical strategies being used on both sides. I'd prefer to say that. I don't know. Because again, you know, a lot of these things, whether they're lies or not, remain to be seen. You know, if uh, there, there's a lot of predictions are being made about what's going to happen, then we don't really know. Um, but 
I would, I would say, for example, I've been listening to, there's a new talk radio show on the left now, right? <coughs> for the echo chamber, if you're a good liberal, you listen to Ed Schultz. You heard him? Yeah. Right? I think his rhetorical techniques and strategies are indistinguishable from a Rush Limbaugh. He engages in name calling. He engages in fear appeals. He engages in race baiting. Everybody who is opposed to Obama's health care plan is a racist, right? You see what I'm getting at? So that's my point. I, yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. I probably, I, I'm reluctant to call people liars, but I'm not reluctant to call them demagogues when they engage in those kinds of strategies. Yes? Isn't one of the problems, Professor, beyond the rhetoric, the fact that there's a lot of money involved here? For example, I think of one of the organizers of the Tea Party's army was caught making money out of all of these uh, uh, these planned uh, uh, organiza uh, organizing e efforts. <clears throat> you also have people, whether it's Rush Limbaugh being paid fifteen million dollars oh, yeah. a year to promote uh, whatever his people want him to promote, or. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Hardball Matthews being paid five million dollars yeah. to be all Obama all the time, yeah. along with that sports writer and his countdown. I mean, these people <laughs> are paid millions of dollars Absolutely. just to spew a line like yeah. a robot. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's right, and that, and that is a problem. And there's also money, by the way, being funneled into somebody's group of organizing. Uh, the lobbying from the healthcare industry, other places. So money in politics certainly is a is a is a big issue. But again, uh, as long as they're an audience for Rush Limbaugh, you know they're going to justify that. But so you know, again, I, I I think it's an educational problem at its root, but it's also, as you say, a problem of money in politics, and it's a problem of media standards. Now. You know, I, I happen to argue, I, you know, I've, I was on a panel one time and there was a journalist on there that says, oh, you know, and I was complaining, you know, what, it was right after Michael Jackson died. You know, Michael Jackson, 24 hours on the news. That's all there is on the news. All, all Michael Jackson all the time, as I, as I said. And the journalist's response is, well, we're just giving the people what they want. Um, I'm not sure that's true. There is a audience that doesn't want that. But the, the lowest common denominator perhaps wants it. There is money in it, right? But I also think the media still have a responsibility. And I use the analogy, you know, to make us eat our broccoli, you know? To give us stuff we need as well as the junk food that we might want, right? So, you know, it's a complex issue. But you're absolutely right. Money is a, is a, is a big, big problem. And can I, there was another sure. question over here. I'll come back. Yeah. to which these tactics, and you've kind of alluded to this a couple of times, are a game of one-upmanship, right? Yeah. Where you have, a, if one side is very interested in reasoned, deliberative discourse, and the other side is screaming and yelling and waving flags and, and whatever, and um, they're getting all the coverage, then the side, the side of the gods, or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> yeah. feels that they have to, to adopt those tactics in order to get attention. Is there a way out of that, do you think? Or um, well, again, yeah, it goes back to, I, I, I think, and, and we, we do see it. I think more and more young people, for example, absolutely reject that kind of polarized debate. 
And, and it's because we, I think, are doing a better job, maybe, that, uh, of, of making them critical consumers of media. There's something called media literacy that we're trying to teach, <laughs> where, where students say, geez, you know, that's, that's really, here's why that's misleading and deceptive. You actually teach some of that, I think. <laughs> so it's not come to think of it. Um, so, you know, it's a big challenge. The way out of it is a more informed and more critical and more enlightened citizenry. Um, so that's support our center. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. One antidote that has been proposed is greater exposure to the details. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, people talking about a law to allow 72 hours between the availability of a bill mm -hmm. and the voting on the bill, and it's 1,100 pages long, and not even the news media are going no. to read it. Yeah. It reminds me of what happened when, years ago, IBM was asked for information to defend against a monopoly charge. Right. They loaded up, I think it was three, but I'm not sure the exact number, 18-wheeler moving vans <laughs> with documents, and yeah. they delivered them. Yeah, they just dump them on this. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay. There's our response. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what, <laughs> what you're getting out of here, but there's money in politics again. But my point is, the openness is not it, too. You need somebody to pre-digest yeah. it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, that, and that's why... You know, it's a, it's a shame to see what's happening again to journalism. You know, we go back, you know, uh, with the newspapers going under, with the, you know, those are the people that, you know, have been watchdogs for us, as they say. They have, uh, unfortunately, been becoming more of, 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 uh, of, of entertainers, as you're yeah. suggesting. People like Rush Limbaugh, he's not a, he's not a journalist, he's an entertainer. He, he himself says that, Glenn Beck, same thing. He's an old disc jockey that figured out he can make millions of dollars by scaring the hell out of people, right? So, uh, you know, that's not journalism. We, we need to try to save journalism. That's important. But there's also a lot of good sources of, of, of you know, these think, think tanks and foundations and groups like factcheck.org that provide information if people want it, if they, if they want to look for it. You can find good unbiased information on the healthcare debate, but you have to take the responsibility as a citizen to go find it, right? And, and you have to be literate, and, and it's increasingly hard in this internet world, you know, uh, how do you, you know, our kids come in and they don't know the difference between a, uh, you know, a good and a bad website, so that's something we have to teach them, you know, what's the difference between a credible and a, and a not so credible website? You know, when, when some of these students show up on our doorstep, at 18 years of age, they think we never landed on the moon because they read that on the on the internet, right? They believe in all these conspiracy theories. So, you know, it's a challenge, I, I admit it. But but that's why there are so many of these groups like our center trying to trying to at least push back the tide. And and we all need to support our our local newspapers and our journalists and and like I said, speak out against the demagogues. You know, we need to be more critical consumers in, in the marketplace of ideas. So, yeah. uh, so along this line, where many people are getting information from Facebook and Twitter and all uh -huh. of this, where it really gets more to sound bites, is this just confuse the whole issue? Here's I, this was a slide I had for another presentation, but I want to show it to you. Where'd it go? 
You mentioned Twitter. Oops, now I lost it completely. Can you get the last slide on there? You mentioned Twitter because Twitter's actually done some good things when you think about what happened during the Iranian election, right, and how all that information got out. It, it's a wonderful tool, but again, you have to teach people to use it responsibly, and, and you have to recognize, there's my uh, Twitter slide. <laughs> I can't write English too good, laugh out loud. But anyway, I don't, I don't even know why I have that on there. <laughs> she likes it. <laughs> yes? In terms of how this contributes to the mechanism of democracy, you've been talking primarily, not exclusively, as if all these protests were spontaneous and individual. Could you no. say something about the distinction people are drawing between grassroots and mass yeah. No, I don't, I don't think I suggest that. I didn't mean to if I did suggest that. Uh, but what I, on the other side of the <coughs> coin, is I would not say they were all, everybody that came out to these healthcare things was part of an organized conspiracy either. You know, I think people came for a lot of different reasons. I think the, the people who were silenced by the organized protesters were the people who had legitimate questions. And I think our, our former journalist, former journalist uh, uh, made that point, that there were a lot of people there that came because they wanted to learn about this. They had legitimate questions about the cost, about whether the government can really run an operation like this, and so on. Uh, and the, uh, the strong partisans kind of drowned them out and stole the show. Now, uh, I think there are some real grassroots uh, objections to to healthcare, but there are also some organized ones. That's very clear. Richard Vigory runs a group that has organized busloads of people to go to these things. Uh, other groups have done that as well. So, it, uh, you know, I, I don't want to generalize one way or another. I think, you know, not everybody that opposes healthcare is a racist. Not everybody, you know, I, I don't like to generalize like that. So I hope I didn't leave the impression that I thought there was no grassroots concern about. I think there is. Yeah. Well, I uh, think we talked a lot about the first part of the title that you advertised this uh -huh. deliberation or disruption. Right. And I think you, you know, people have expressed themselves about that, and everybody will have their own view, and it's not right. it's not clear, and to a certain extent, your view of which it is depends on which side of the issues you might be. Mm -hmm. But I'm really more interested in the second part. The lessons. The lessons of the town <laughs> hall meetings on health care reform. And I really came to hear you or yeah. anybody uh, speak on the lessons that they took from this, okay. these historical events. The, the lessons about how we debate and deliberate important public issues, that's what I think I have been speaking about a little bit. Um, what are the lessons? Well, I think the lesson—I think there are a lot of lessons about about how to respond to these uh, kinds of protests. There are lessons about what this says about the health of our democracy. I think our our it, it, it talks about the need for education in 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 rhetoric and argumentation and what's a reasoned argument, and media literacy, uh, uh, critical thinking. Um, for the Democrats responding to this. I think the lesson uh, I tried to make was that uh, don't chase red herrings. Don't don't uh, don't respond to people that aren't. Don't debate with people that aren't persuadable. Answer the questions that ordinary Americans, 
that aren't strongly partisan one way or the other have about this health care reform uh, package. And I think they're starting to do that. And the polls are showing some kind of turnaround. I would point out, by the way, I didn't cite these polls. Early, these tactics worked in fooling a lot of people. There was a Gallup poll that was done very early in the debate after, it was actually the week after Sarah Palin made her remarks about the death panels that showed, and, and, and the Democrats were almost suicidal about this, an NBC <laughs> poll, 45% believe that government will have the power to stop life-sustaining support for the elderly, 55% believe the plan will cover illegal aliens, that was another, there's the, there's one of the lies, I think. That was a lie, there was nothing in the plan that said that. 54% uh, believe that Obama wants a complete government takeover of the healthcare industry. So you could say the lesson initially, and this is what the Democrats were taking out of it, the lesson for the Democrats was it pays to lie, right? It, it pays to engage in these kinds of, uh, of strategies. But I think in the long run, uh, it, that's proven to not be the case because Finally, finally, the, the more mainstream media began calling him on some of this stuff, and finally, Obama stood up and gave that speech <coughs> and responded to it. Uh, so, yeah. How do you open dialogue or educate when we only allow sound bites? Well, again, we keep going back to some a lot of problems in the news media and how they cover stuff. And, well, yeah. I would say that's a problem we have. We've learned to think in sound We've learned bites. to think in sound bites. We, we exactly. read in sound bites. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there goes to this kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I sometimes I believe that, sometimes I don't. I mean, I have a, I have a class of uh, a public speaking class. We, by the way, still require public speaking for all forty-two thousand plus uh, Penn State students, and the reason is because this is a land grant institution. We, we think that's important to educate people for citizenship. So the skills of communicating, and it's not just how to give a speech and how to persuade a speech, uh, people with speech, but how to critically evaluate speech. And so that's an important skill. That's that's what we're talking about. But you're quite, I went off track. I'm sorry. What was your question? People, people are used to being entertained oh, oh, okay. rather than educated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think that, you know, you see that, uh, particularly in young people, the attention span, all that, you know, and we're all told now that we're not supposed to lecture to them because they're visual learners and they don't, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm not convinced of that. I think, uh, you know, I've got some students that are uh, very engaged and very smart and a lot smarter than I was at their age and others that aren't. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think things have changed all that much and there's, uh, you know, the, the, these new media are changing things. They're, they're overwhelmed with information and sources. But they actually, you know, people think, for example, young people don't read anymore. They actually read a lot. You know, they read a lot of it online. They don't read books like we used to, but they still read a lot. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite as pessimistic about, about our culture becoming, you know, short attention span as, as just in general, life. yeah, the culture, yeah. But you're talking about in general how our culture has changed, and and, and it has, and and part of it, you know, uh, the journalistic conventions. You know, there used to be uh, television documentaries. We don't see those anymore. You know, things have changed a lot, um, and 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 a lot of the media because of the 
the profit motive and the ratings, drive for ratings, is, is appealing to the lowest common denominator. That's, that's a real problem that we have talked about. But, but there's still people like you that go out and engage in conversation about important issues with your fellow citizens, right? I think there's a lot more of that that goes on than, than some of us might think. I, I did get the second time through apparently the lessons that uh, that actually were in the earlier yeah. part, yeah. And, and they dealt with um, uh, I would say how to deal with a public meeting where people have different points of view, mm -hmm. and you 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 disagree with someone how to uh, handle that situation. What's in there though is uh, as you also pointed out a strategy that uh, is behind at least one side, if not both sides. Yeah. Uh, well, it's one side imitating what the other side did when they were in the minority. Right. right. Perhaps. Yeah. And, but anyway, to organize not really for purposes of deliberation, right. but really more for the purposes yeah. of disruption. Absolutely. And, and so uh, also involved is not just disruption of the meeting, but the creation of um, the tensions that come with hostility. Yeah and even physical yeah. assault sometimes yeah. that are have a what used to be called a chilling effect oh, absolutely. on people showing up uh, absolutely. or have for, uh, for discussion. Uh, and thank you for bringing this up. And so what are the, and that was, uh, I think, uh, the really more important part of what went on yeah. with these meetings. Yeah. And I'd like to know what lessons can be taken yeah. no, thank to stop that kind of, yeah. Well, you are talking about something. I mean, there are a lot of lessons we yes, can draw yes, from I this. Agree. And, and another one is that there may be better ways uh, to hold public forums or better ways to inform our elected representatives of what people are actually thinking. And people are making all sorts of, people who study this stuff are making all sorts of proposals for new kinds of forums. It's important to recognize, for example, that these were not really town hall forums. If you, if you if you study the history of town hall meetings in the United States, they were actually decision-making deliberative bodies that came together in local communities to make policy. And that's not what these are, right? These are media events. And, 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 and they, the, the organizers of the protests have learned that they can get a lot of attention, focus a lot of attention on their cause by disrupting those media events. And the disruption is what's going to be covered. So we talked about that. So the lesson. So the question becomes, well, what's the alternative? And, 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 and people have proposed all sorts of kind of wild ideas about this. Uh, James Fiskin, a, 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 a professor at Stanford University, has suggested that we have town halls, that Congress people hold town halls by invitation based on, you know, this sounds kind of elaborate, but based on creating a, a list of people based on polling data it, to bring undecided voters into contact with the elected representative. Uh, you know, it's an interesting idea. You know, it's a way to get the, the strong partisans out of there. Other people have talked, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a foundation called Kettering that has these uh, programs across the country called National Issues Forums. That's an attempt to bring ordinary citizens together in their local communities, provide them with information, and then have them discuss various options. Those are kind of interesting. I've attended a lot of those. When you get people uh, from a local community together face-to-face, -to -face, uh, 
uh, provide them with information and have a good facilitator, a train, they train facilitators to kind of manage the conversation, those are very productive uh, uh, ways to hold these kinds of discussions. So there are, there are models out there for doing things differently. Um, uh, but the problem with the town halls as they're conceived now is they are too easily exploited by people uh, and turned into media events. Yeah. I feel like though, you can almost say the opposite argument, which is that, um, as you mentioned earlier, it was extremely effective when, when Obama gave his address. And so it, isn't it difficult to say whether these disruptions were truly sort of getting out of hand and, and, and usurping all the media coverage or whether perhaps the Democratic Party let them get to that point yeah, well, in order to then step in and give that rationed response? Yeah, well, again, I, I mean, I made a couple of points. I, I think the extent to which these were disruptive, I, I think a lot of them were pretty good forums. Uh, so I did make that point earlier. But the media focus was clearly on the disruption. And yeah, I think that Obama then did a Richard Nixon. That, that was my point, that he focused the attention in his speech on the means that were being employed to oppose health care uh, and, and, and effectively discredit some of those people. And then that, that moron, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to call him a moron, Joe Wilson, played right into his hands by you know, yelling at the president. Uh, now, now, again, his followers, he, could, he, could, he, he might argue, well, that, that was the best thing I ever did because he's getting all sorts of money. He's a celebrity. He went on Sean Hannity's show, you know. Uh, but, you know, that's his 15 minutes of fame. He's, uh, he's going to be a pariah in the Senate for the re or in the Congress for the rest of his career. And, yeah. and I think from a, from a standpoint of the order's rhetoric, is the British system, House of Commons, Prime Minister. It's a lot more fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, in fact, superior to our own? Yeah. Because yeah. you have confrontation back yeah. and forth. Back There's something to be said for that, right? That, and, and again, I think we do have a, we have that in our tradition, a, a kind of tradition of robust, even rowdy democratic deliberation. But yeah, we have rules of kind of decorum in our, in our, in our Congress that, that they don't have there. And it's part of their tradition to engage in this more kind of confrontational shouting out of, uh, of, of, of their opinions. And yeah, that, that's, that's, that, that's fine. But they still, but they still have certain rules uh, and, and lines of, of propriety that they don't cross. You know, they, they will very vigorously debate those issues, but you don't see them uh, engage in the kind of name calling and so on that we see so commonly in the media here. Uh, it's substantive, robust debate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but wasn't this a good theory in a sense to get all the politicians to go face the public? Well, they've always done that. Yeah, these towns. No, but I mean, like sure. this sure. massive sure. type thing was. Yeah. Very unique. No, I think it's a good thing, and I, like I said, I don't, uh, again, I'm not saying these town halls were a horrible thing, and the no, lesson is we shouldn't do them. I thought a lot of them were were very productive and very useful to the, and, to the citizens. And we really have moved on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To the good, something's yeah. being yeah. done. No, I agree, I agree. But it did, the red herrings did distract oh. us for a while, oh. as we could tell by these early polls. Now, you look at the polls now, people don't believe this stuff anymore. So in the right. long run, yeah. you know, I think uh, it, it, it hasn't been. But they bad. weren't used to facing the public. Oh, no, so no. I. And you got to give some people like Arnold Specter credit. I mean, he stood his ground, uh, you know, with that guy hitting in his face, and you know, he didn't. He could have. He could have 
you know, made some excuse and canceled out. The possibility remains that all the deliberation and discussion will accomplish nothing. That the health care might come out so watered down because well, there's so much money into both parties that. Well, well, it's going to come out as a compromise bill. Now, I, I don't know if that's necessarily bad. That's kind of the way our system works. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a, a, a if you're a strong partisan in favor of the public option, you're disappointed. You know, it's it, it, it may, although they're they're it, it's actually being revived as we speak. It may it may. Well, I'm saying even if it gets around to people yeah. thinking that public option yeah. may be the best. Well, uh, again, now, now, now we're watching the sausage be made, as they say, right? You know, and and you know, it is ugly. I mean, they've got to come come up with a bill that is acceptable to the House and the Senate conferees, and that's going to be very difficult. And it's not going to be a bill that pleases anybody. Well, and you're absolutely right. But it's going to be. I guarantee. I I will predict, and you can call me a liar if it turns out untrue. But I will. You know, the bill that does emerge is going to be a major change in our our healthcare system. Uh, it may not be everything you hope for or that Obama hoped for, and it, 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 it's not going to be the socialism that Rush Limbaugh feared, but it's going to be a significant change. It's going to be a compromise bill, though. Yeah. You're familiar with the term astroturf? Oh, yeah. I, my perception is that a lot of these um, so-called town hall disruptions mm -hmm. were actually astroturfed. In other words, I, I, I mean, I... I lived in Maine for 10 years. We had genuine town, hall. town halls, which were mm -hmm. deliberative, annual deliberative bodies, where actually our local laws and ordinances were passed. Right. But you couldn't bus in people from North <laughs> exactly. Carolina exactly. Into, into Brooksville, Maine, and have them be standing up and representing the people. Yeah. The pe because you, they'd be kicked out. Yep. I mean, there's no, there's no legal You'd know right away. You'd look at it and you'd well, say, the, you aren't from, from the around next here. Town, right? From the next yeah. town over, you don't have a vote. Yeah. And, uh, and so this is, um, this is a new phenomenon, I yep. think. But, you know, I'll, um, I'll become say something very extreme here, which is that um, it almost worked. And if, you, if one party or one tendency politically uses a tactic and it works, it's almost inevitable Everybody that the else other is one is going to do the same yep. thing. If the right shuts down the left's forums, then the left is going to try to shut down the right's forums. And it almost reached that point. There was almost a call put out to the unions oh, yeah. to start going to right-wing Republic, uh, Republican congressmen's meetings, and it didn't happen. Well, no, actually it did happen. happen. There was, a, there was a, a woman that went to one of McCain's town uh -huh. halls and was disruptive, so, and know, she was dragged out, an elderly right. woman, was dragged out of right. the same kitten. So then you've got, yeah. you're near the end of civil discourse. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that the significance of these so-called town hall meetings was, was greater than just, just like a bunch of angry people showing up <laughs> at a congressman's uh, uh, event. I think it really presaged almost, you know, possibly just an end to any public um, dialogue yeah. over issues. Well, I, I think that's a little pessimistic, although I think you're right. I mean, I've made that point that when people successfully use disruptive tactics, uh, people uh, with causes they're not going to agree with are going to use them as well if they, if they think they're effective. So I think it's, uh, that's why I would urge liberals to speak out against demagogic liberals. You know, because, because, you know, the only way we save our ability to 
debate and deliberate these important issues reasonably is calling our own people into line when they are out of line, right? So that, that's kind of what I, I try to do sometimes when I criticize in some of my writings people I agree with, their goals, but when I believe that they have engaged in demagogic or propagandistic kinds of tactics, mm -hmm. I, I, I call them on it because, you know, we don't want to... We don't want to approve tactics uh, uh, that 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 we find that are offensive, uh, you know, on one side and, and say they're okay on the other. That's hypocritical. But I want to. I'm glad you brought up the notion of astroturfing. Do you all understand that meaning that term? Yeah. That astroturf movement is a phrase that's now used to describe what are, in effect, phony grassroots movements. And 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 the term I believe was first used uh, with reference to. A, an alleged movement called Wise Use. Are you familiar with this? It was an environmental uh, uh, movement, an alleged environmental movement, started publicizing all this stuff. And, and they were arguing against the kind of preservationist environmentalists, saying, well, true environmentalism is using our resources widely. And they invoked, actually, arguments made by Theodore Roosevelt when he founded the original conservation movement. So, uh, but it turns out, this so-called movement, wise use movement, was funded by lumber companies and, and logging <laughs> operations, right? There, there, it was no real grassroots. There wasn't a bunch of citizens that rose up and said, oh, I think we need to balance preserving the environment with, with, with our economic interests. It was, a, it was a astroturfed movement funded by corporate interests. And, and we certainly were seeing that in the healthcare debate, I think, with some of these groups that were getting money from uh, the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare and, and the health insurance industry. Yes, thank you. No, no, I agree, and 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 you're also making another point I made earlier that this wasn't just about healthcare reform. This was, you know, there was a lot of frustration uh, bubbling up because of the economy. Uh, if you look at our, our history in that list of you know people that became kind of disruptive activist people, it tends to those people tend to be predominantly focused in decades where there's economic difficulties, where there's rapid social and economic change of various sorts, you know, where things are kind of uncertain. And, and so, yeah, I think that's true. And then during those times, it becomes much more important that, that the public has a kind of way to release their, their pent-up steam, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. I'm not, and, and again, uh, there's a, a variety of suggestions being made out there about ways to do that. Um, but, but again, a lot of it has to do with, I, I think it has to begin at the local level. We have to go back to true grassroots uh, citizen participation. Yeah? One of the things um, I find myself concerned about in terms of the media deterioration, yeah. the journalistic, uh, not that journalists have deteriorated, but the way things have <laughs> They have too, he says. <laughs> but the way things have become more of an entertainment industry yeah. and ratings yeah. Yeah, driven. Entertainment. Um, I have um, two young adult children mm -hmm. who have children, and 
you know, they have high-powered jobs, um, both parents working, uh, busy children's lives, yeah. and, and yeah. working in the schools with families, I see this too. And um, I know for myself, I've only become involved actively in politics since I've retired. And other, yeah. other things have been taken off my plate. Uh, I, I think that's an excellent point, you know. And I, I guess yeah. my big fear is, um, and this is, I'm sorry to sound so negative, but I feel like people don't have the time to use that wonderful education that they got yeah. 15 mm -hmm. years ago or 10 years ago to really delve into the issues and see if, you know, find out about this organization <coughs> that's sponsoring something like what yeah. you just talked no, about. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And so the, the information comes at them in bits and pieces, and um, I think there's a lot happening under the radar screen. I think a lot happened under the radar screen over the eight years of the Bush administration that people generally aren't aware of. And um, that bothers me in terms of our democracy, in terms of our yeah. uh, being an informed and educated populace. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's well, one uh, That's one thing. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to ask you was um, what you think about George Lakoff's analysis of framing and how the, the Republicans are so much better at that than the Democrats. <laughs> I think he's right. I think he's I, right. I, yeah, I think he's, he's absolutely right. Um, and, you know, again, it, it, it speaks to some of the, the problems the Democrats have had with uh, health care. You know, one of the, other than chasing the red herrings and focusing on these far-right wingers that they can't possibly convince and answering all their phony charges, the other thing the Democrats have done is classic Lakoff. They've told these kind of sob stories about individual anecdotal evidence of individuals that don't have health insurance and how horrible that is. Well, that, I mean, I'm, I'm a sympathetic guy, and I get teared up when I hear those stories, but they're preaching to the choir when they do that, according to Lakoff, because... People who feel that we have a moral obligation to give everybody, everybody has the moral right to health care, are already supporting it, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think he's absolutely right. That's a framing issue, that they, they, they are either preaching the choir or chasing red herrings. They are oh, framing the issue they effectively as, as, the, as the Republicans have now. They can't ignore the red herrings, however. That's no. That's been another big Yeah, yeah you, can't, you can't completely ignore them either. No. Time for one more question. One more question. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, oh I, I, which one do we want? I think this guy has yeah, okay, a chance. You know, I've been listening. You keep using the word media. Yeah. I think we got too GD much television. <laughs> 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 you know, everything's done to be shown on the screen. Well, let's have something reading. Yeah. Maybe Good radio, question. but not television. I'm glad you said that because it, it allows me to go back to this question as well. If you've all read, I hope a lot of you have read Robert Putnam's wonderful book, Bowling Alone, which is about exactly what you were describing, the disintegration of, of American civic life because people are so busy and distracted with uh, this and that and the other thing. The, the title of the book comes from the fact that people don't join, join bowling leagues as much anymore, right? They're bowling alone, right? And he blames television primarily for that. And, I think he's right. If you haven't read that book, you should read it. It's wonderful. It's real thick. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you.